One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is powered by Shimano. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Relure Magazine Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, and I am very much not in my garage today where I usually record this episode. Today I'm joining you from Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, at the start of the 2022 uh, Tour de France. I'm in the press room. Everything is yellow. Everything is always yellow in the press room. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I've tried to carve out a little quiet corner here. Normally, I would be doing this podcast in person with my guest today. But, you know, in the era of COVID, uh, things are a little bit different. So today on the line, I have uh, Jeff Crombie, who's a mechanic for Ineos Grenadiers. And Jeff, you're also here in Copenhagen, probably, you know, not very far from where I'm sitting at the moment, but strict, strict COVID protocols in place. So thanks for joining me remotely. I know it was kind of a pain to get set up. No problem. No problem. Jeff, you know, you know, it's it's always sort of a, uh, a hectic time getting set up for a grand tour, but uh, this is clearly not your first. Um, and, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, first of all, the process of what it's like to get uh, bikes ready for the tour, especially considering this year's tour starts with a time trial and then heads to sort of some flat stages. So you're going to be kind of shuffling a lot of bikes. So let's start there. Um, first of all, how many how many grand tours have you have you worked so far? uh not not that many luckily i guess (laughs) Uh, normally i kind of come in and out for for spots of it especially when there's tts and stuff like that so i don't know maybe maybe 10 maximum okay but there's some guys on the team that have done like tons so when you show up you you come in are you more of a specialist for for the tt bikes then a a little bit just because they're they're complicated and there's lots of little parts so i tend to Put a bit more time in there so I, I know where all the little bits go to, just mm-hmm. to help the guys i know that when i used to be a, a bike shop mechanic we used to throw the tt bikes at the guys we didn't like because it was so much work <laughs> i like them so uh for me it, it works out well yeah i mean there are there's a lot of ins and outs and and tiny little parts and fit you know all there's it's just such a, a difficult bike to set up um when you arrive uh on the ground at a grand tour or any any bike race what is the process for getting all these bikes set up start with um you know, you're, you're juggling not just different riders bikes but also different types of bikes so wh- where does the process start uh everything starts in service course i mean for us for the mechanics it's in my mind it's win or loss there because that's where most of the big work happens when you're at race you're you know knock on wood it, without crashes and stuff you're just maintaining all the work you've already done so a lot of that is is all the prep in service course with the wheels the tires 
the bikes, all that stuff. So once you get to the race, it, it, it feels, it should feel quite smooth. And yeah, just, you know, changing day-to-day rider requests for wheel size or, or gearing. But the big work is always service course. Does that mean that before you even get to the race, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into it, arranging transport of the bikes and, and getting them to the, the service course in one piece. I mean, are you, is that part of your job or is there somebody else that takes care of that? Uh, that yeah, I help, I help with that for sure. So yeah, the big one is, especially in this era of COVID in production is just getting stuff. <laughs> so once you, once you overcome that hurdle, uh, putting it all together, and then, yeah, I mean, for a Grand Tour, we're normally in the service course at least a week before. Once everything is sort of, you know, plotted for a certain race and you've got everything tagged, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of folks at home don't really realize how all these bikes get transported. Do you have to drive them from somewhere? Do you ship them? Like, how does that all work logistically? Uh, for, yeah, always driven, unless it's an overseas race. Mm-hmm. But for this, yeah, we drove them. When did we leave? Uh, Sunday, Sunday from Belgium after stage three i think it is when we go back to france drive them all back <laughs> that's that seems like part of the the not so fun part of all this <laughs> it is what it is i mean yeah. it, it's tricky especially you know when we had hungary to hungary to italy and now we've got denmark to france yeah yeah the, the logistics of it is also a big piece Do you... sometimes the bike is actually the easiest part of the job it's <laughs> once it's done it's done it's like you say trying to get it from one place to the other in one piece yeah, yeah. Now, are you? I, I know you're. You're originally from Canada. Do you live in Canada, or are you European based now? Uh, yeah, I live in uh, Scotland now. Okay, so a little bit shorter flight for you to get all this <laughs> <little> started. <laughs> As somebody who just got off a flight from the U.S., I, I can I can empathize entirely. Yeah. Now, once the bikes are on the ground, you've driven them to where you're going. Uh, you know, how long have you been in Copenhagen at this point? But you know, this is we're we're now uh, two days out from the first stage. So, how long have you been here already? Uh, the, the main truck got here Monday afternoon and then we got here a day later cause we, there was a delay of, of some stuff. So we stayed in Belgium for an extra day to, to get that done. But the riders only showed up yesterday, so we don't, we don't need to be here that much before them. Once you get all the bikes here, uh, I assume that all starts with unpacking from the truck and checking for damage, checking for setup. Uh, is that, is that basically, uh, what happens and where do you, where exactly do you do that? I mean, I've seen... Every, everything from hotel parking lots to parking garages, it's usually outside, yeah? Yeah. I mean, luckily with us, maybe you've seen our truck with the, the expanding pods on the back. Mm-hmm. So two guys can work inside, and then we'll have some guys outside. And luckily, it's been amazing weather, so to, to be outside right now is, is fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, you, you get to the location. Um, the trucks are, are organized quite well with the racking, so risk of damage is very low, thankfully. Um, yeah, put the wheels in the bikes, put it on the stand, give it a quick check. And then normally you'll have the guys ride each of their bikes for the, for the previous days before the event. So everyone, everything's been ridden, everything's been checked, any questions or concerns we address. And then once we start, you know, feel quite confident we've, we've covered everything. Now, Jeff, you're, you're, you're one man. I assume you're not the one man going through all of those bikes. How, what, how what's how many mechanics are there on the ground at this race we'll have four so we with eight guys we break it each guy gets two Mm -hmm. so you know they have three road bikes two tt bikes so that's i mean obviously you're not doing tts every day so mainly it's it's six bikes a day and so usually do do mechanics get assigned uh, riders or do riders request certain mechanics i mean how does that all work yeah we we normally 
language is a big one too. So if, uh, you know, if you have guys that speak the same language, that helps just because mm-hmm. sometimes to try and communicate this stuff is, it's intricate, you know, it's, it's not simple. So that will be a kind of a dictating factor. And then if you've worked with a guy before, done another race, it makes it a little easier. Now, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, you are balancing a lot of different types of bikes for a lot of different types of riders. And, and you know, a lot of these uh, adjustments have to kind of be made quickly. Um, and that requires some specialty tools. Uh, tell me just quickly, what does your toolbox look like? And does it change uh, from race to race? Or does it change regarding what types of bike you're working on? Now that we're all on disc brake bikes, we've had to add a, some extra parts. Because mm-hmm. um, this is our first year full disc, thankfully. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that part won't won't change really. Um, it's surprisingly, I feel like it's less tools every year to work on a bike, especially when it's only one brand. You know, it's just Pinarello and Shimano, so it's not. You're not having to do like a bike shop scenario or a mass a mass start event. So you can you can keep it quite quite simple, thankfully. And now you mentioned Shimano, and um, you know especially with disc brakes now, I mean, there are some specialty tools uh, for bleeding brakes, for, you know, installing wires, things like that. Can you just give me a sense of uh, what what kind of tools do you have regarding specifically to Shimano and how do you learn to use those? I mean, is it just on the fly or do you go through some sort of training for that? I mean, Shimano has the S-Tech site. I don't know if you've ever seen that. So that's super helpful. Um, all their, all their information is online pdfs the tech doc site which is really good and a lot of it seems to be like only small changes from the previous generation so the first time doing di2 of course was like totally new (laughs) but now it's always built on the same kind of philosophy so for specialty tools the wire sizes changed this year for the 12 speed it's wireless from the shifters to the battery so that's even easier to to work with especially with the bikes nowadays all the integratedness um, the disc brakes, I feel like it's, again, to me, bikes, you, you, you win or lose them in, in the pre-build. If, if build goes slowly, make sure you've connected the, the brake lines properly, the olives compressed properly. If, I feel if you do that and don't rush, then it, it's quite good. If you rush, then you're kind of chased, then I find you, you chase gremlins for a while, unfortunately. I mean, and, and you know, sometimes you are kind of forced to rush i mean making changes on the fly and things like that i mean how do you how do you sort of uh keep all that straight in your head in terms of what process you need to to go through for each thing that you're going to adjust like say something comes in right before the the stage starts and a rider says this ain't right (laughs) you know how do you tackle that without freaking out (laughs) um i mean we have the luxury of always having the spare bikes which again, not everyone has that. So we each rider has two spare bikes. So depending on what they come to you with, yeah, you, you got to do like a quick little calculation in your head. How long is this going to take me and where are the bits? If you have to, you just send them off on the spare. Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, if in the race, you got to fix it or drop it off to someone to fix. Um, that's what you do. But I, I feel like when we do our bike builds in in uh, October, November, whatever, you, you're going through so many bikes, you kind of learn where everything is. So then you can almost, if there's a problem, you can almost like think it through in your head where this bit would be and how long it's going to take you to get to and then decide, okay, it's a new bike or just give me a minute and I'll fix it. Do you get to a point with your relationship with the riders where you you can kind of predict 
what maybe some of their hangups are going to be and, and how you can tackle them quickly? I mean, do you get to a point with, with those relationships like that, or is it just it's, it's sort of a separate thing? Uh, everyone's different. Some people really like to get close to the riders. For me, they're all super nice guys, and I'm, I'm happy to do the work, but, it, yeah, there's a bit of a line. You know, like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know how to answer that. Yeah, some guys are obviously more particular about certain things than others, and you learn pretty quick what they want. The best, I mean, to me, the best ones are the ones that can vocalize it. If they say they need something adjusted, it's easier than, than guessing. And do, I mean, when that happens, uh, if if there is sort of a, a a rider who doesn't quite understand what it is, something's wrong. I know something's wrong. <laughs> But I don't know what. Now, you guys have all sorts of fitting jigs and things like that, too, right? Like, it's if there's a fit problem, for example, you can throw it on the jig and see what's what's wrong, yes? And and there's all sorts of things like that to speed up the process. Like, you guys use, like, a, a special jig to set up cleats, too, correctly? Uh, I, actually, for that, each mechanic, I think, has their own little system for that. Hmm. Um, the, oh, shoes and cleats, that's a whole other... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, we can, we can measure cleats and shoes more accurately than they're made mm-hmm. you know like they're not they're not making those shoes to within a millimeter really so what what is your what is your go-to process for that then measuring but then kind of eyeballing it and seeing if it looks the same and mm-hmm. symmetric because mm-hmm. there's no way they're putting the last on the exact same spot of that carbon sole every time right and that right. carbon sole flexes the exact same way so you can have it aligned but it might feel different to them because their foot's physically in it mm-hmm. So for that, I, to me, the main one is communication. Yeah. They bring new shoes. I say I put the cleats in in relation, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the same. Please try them beforehand. And that's right. another thing they'll do is try their spare shoes on. Now, when I mentioned cleats, uh, your your blood pressure rose, I could tell. <laughs> it's all fun and games for yeah. that. <laughs> what, is, what is the most difficult thing to tackle? I mean, is there something that you just kind of, when somebody comes in and says, I need this changed, you go, oh, boy. Uh, or is it all pretty much rote at this point for you? It's the guys that are, are possibly trying to change stuff guessing because they're not sure what the issue is. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're like, I want, my, I want my saddle down one mil, no problem. I can go down one mil. It's, it's, it's when you can tell they're kind of like searching for a, a fix of something they're not quite sure what they're trying to fix. Mm-hmm. Then, that, then that's a bit trickier. Right. You're sort of, you're feeling in the dark for, for a problem that isn't defined. Yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to take just a quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to chat a little bit about what your experience as a mechanic is uh, as you're watching the race and, and what kind of uh, satisfaction you take from the job in general. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Jeff Crombie from Ineos Grenadiers. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinnow, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. You can get more out of your rides this summer. The Hammerhead Carew 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available. 
with industry-leading mapping, navigation and routing capabilities. Free global maps with points of interest like cafe stops and campsites mean you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. Seamlessly and wirelessly import routes from Strava, Komoot and more. Change or reroute on the fly with turn-by-turn directions and upcoming climbs and descents, all in clear colour. For a limited time, Ruler listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code RULERPOD at checkout. We are back with the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cavallari, and I am still sitting here in the uh, press room here at the Tour de France here in Copenhagen. Uh, it is incredible to see the sheer volume of bikes in this city. It's, it's really wonderful. Usually when I come to the Tour de France, we're looking just at high-end bikes uh, from the race team, and we're all driving around to take pictures of them. But this year, it's, it's really it's quite a different experience to see everybody on different types of bikes using them for mobility. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the shiny, fancy <laughs> race bikes and the people who work on them. And so, Jeff, um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that a lot of your work is, is done before the race even starts. And then you send the riders out on these bikes and it is televised. The fans, the world is watching. From a merca- mechanic's perspective, once those bikes are out of your hands and you kind of, you know, lose a little bit of control over it, uh, how does that feel watching the stages? Do you watch the stages as they're happening, and do you feel any nervousness or any uh, excitement when things go right or wrong? Every time there's a crash yeah, on TV, you're always looking for jerseys, and you're always trying to you know, see where, where the team mechanic is and if, if they can get there in time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it takes a little bit to learn to let go. It's like watching your kids grow. Yes. Like once it's at the race, it's, you can't do much about it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for me, the, the little victory is at the end of the day, if, if there was no issues and the guys are happy, then, then perfect job done. What about when a crash does happen and that bike comes back to you? What is the process for fixing or, I mean, do you, just, do you have to make a decision at some point to say this bike is donezo, we're not going to use this anymore, uh, or it's damaged but we can fix it? I mean, what does that process look like? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a spur of the moment decision, you know, depending on how big the crash is. Most of the times, by the time you get to the crash, the rider's already up and possibly even been going. Um, so then for that, you just have to ask them, everything feel good. They'll know quite quick if, if something feels off. If, if you're there in time where they're still on the ground, you know, quickly check the wheels that they're still straight and just try and get them going in the safest way as possible, as quickly as possible. And then once you're moving, try and assess it from the car if there seems like there's more issues. But, you know, when you guys, when you got guys scattered everywhere, you're just trying to get them going as quickly as possible and not lose time. And then when everything calms down, do a, a more thorough evaluation. But obviously, if you rock up and the bike's in two pieces, it's pretty easy to decide. Yeah. That's a giveaway. <laughs> yeah. And so for, the, for those at home that are listening and, you know, we have a very limited scope of what a mechanic does. Uh, you know, we know that before the, the, the race, they're twiddling with bikes and getting bikes ride, ready for the riders. But then we see them jump out of the cars uh, during the stage when a crash happens. Are you one of those guys that jumps out of the car or, or do you usually hang back in the service course? I, I'm a bit of everything. Uh, 
yeah but i have uh, i'll i'll do races when needed i'll do service course when needed drive the bikes when needed mm-hmm. so yeah when you're in the car you know you're taking numbers you're paying attention to the race if guys have questions they'll come back adjust the radio you know have to swap shoes i mean especially during the classics times then you're 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 busy with something mm-hmm. yeah yeah now, and that's that's what was going to be my next question was, what are you doing in the car all that time? If something doesn't go wrong, are you just hanging out, sitting there? Uh, but it sounds like you've got your hands full regardless. Yeah, there's always something going on. You know, the guys coming back from for for uh, for nutrition for, you know, if the race comes down, coming back for advice just to have a chat to see what's going on. So there's there's, there's not a lot of like downtime per se. Does, uh, does, when you're in the car, I mean, do you, uh, do you have to also manage things like nutrition and, uh, other things that you're giving the riders or is that somebody else in the car's responsibility and you're kind of like backup? No, no, it's, I mean, normally it's just the mechanic in the back. So handing out, um, the biddens from the cool box in the back, you know, if, if it's a rainy day, trying to grab appropriate, uh, appropriate clothing, just the, the spare stuff from the car. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a little bit of everything when it's in the car. Um, I'm curious too, you know, with the uh, the proliferation now of tubeless wheels and tubeless tires and disc brakes. A lot of that's changed just recently. Has that changed the way you perform something like a, a wheel change on the fly? I mean, you guys now have drills that you use to get the axles out. Tell me a little bit about what that process is like. Uh, yeah, that would be like a, a situational thing. So if it's if it's in the last little bit and the race is going off, it's, it's probably faster just to give them a bike just for the risk of, you know, if the rotor catches on the brake pad or if something happens while trying to do the wheel change, now you've just added yourself some time. So you'll, you'll kind of try and balance where you are in the race and what's going on. If everything's calm and rolling along and you need to do a wheel change, you do the wheel change. But yeah, you, you have to be a little bit more aware you know, make sure the rider doesn't grab the brake while the wheel is out. Um, you know, and just yeah, making sure you put it in calmly. You know, yeah. just so you're not do, doing any damage to the rotor. Does it take any longer than than when it was uh, you know quick release axles? We timed it. Um, for the front is about the same because of the lawyer tabs on the on the rim brake forks. The rear, I think, was fractionally longer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can do a really slow rim brake wheel change and a really fast disc brake or, or vice versa. Right, right. But a lot of this stuff, I think overall, is just trying to be real consistent. Mm-hmm. Working in a way, in your way that you know you don't wake up at night thinking, oh, did I tighten that bolt or did I not do this or do that? If you can make the bikes consistent, the riders get on them, they're consistent, they trust you. And then you're only really having to just adjust, you know, if they have an injury or if, if there's something new that you're just dealing with that instead of always having to, like, start from, like, ground zero, so to speak. That's spoken like a man who has clearly woken up in the middle of the night at some point in his past and going, oh, boy, did I tighten that bolt. <laughs> uh, I want to talk a little bit about Shimano. Uh, you know, Ineos Grenadiers, uh, you guys uh, have Shimano drivetrains. Are you also rolling Shimano wheels or is it just a drivetrain? Yeah. New wheels this year. So uh, Shimano's done a lot of updates recently. I mean, the, the, the drivetrain went to semi-wireless. Um, what was the learning curve for you uh, with that? I mean, and, and is, it, is it a better system for you from a mechanic, mechanics perspective in terms of setup and adjustment? 
Um, I mean, it's so to pair to do the semi wireless to pair it, you can either use your phone in the app, you just scan the QR code on the shifter, or you can physically connect the wires and, and pair it all together. So that is super straightforward. Um, haven't had any issues with that at all for the setup. Not having to run wires through the handlebars nowadays is a dream. So yes. only having to do the, the frame is, is fantastic. I mean, we've been so lucky. I think Shimano's, it, again, <laughs> my big thing is to try and be consistent. And to me, Shimano is so consistent. You know what you're going to get. Nothing's perfect, but very, very few issues. Yeah, um, yeah really good. Tell, tell me a little bit about the new wheels. Uh, first of all, is, are, are you using tubeless this year on the, in the yep. team? Yep. So, you know, my I always love talking about, you know, my first Tour de France coverage was 2015, which not that long ago. And I remember vividly images of at night mechanics standing out in the parking lot at the service course, gluing tubular tires, uh, yeah. li literally all night. Um, yeah. Has tubeless simplified things, or is it still a big process to get wheels and tires set up before before stages? Um, it's not a bigger process. It's just a different process for us, mainly just making sure that they are seated properly and that um, they're not leaking air anywhere. So for us, we always try and do a tire, a, yeah, a tire a day before, inflate it, let it sit in the truck. And when you come back to it, make sure, I mean, they'll always drop a little bit, but make sure it's not dead flat. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, make sure that either the, the beads sat properly or the valve is proper. So for that, that's changed. But of course, you know, the tubular, it's like to do it properly. It's a three day process. Mm -hmm. So tubeless you can do if you have to quite quickly, but we, we still try and at least give the day, you know, if it's a new tire and wheel combo, set it up, let it sit come back to it and make sure it's it's held the way it should and if it's not then you know you we need to investigate a little further are are riders starting to embrace tubeless uh, and or are they just riding it because they're told to ride it i mean what what's their what do you get the sense that they're are there riders on the team that are like man i really wish we still had tubulars kicking around i mean they still have that option obviously but uh do riders embrace tubeless yeah, yeah, everyone's everyone's really liked it. I mean, it's a learning curve, so but you know the the feels different. So you're trying to find the pressure that they prefer, and it is a different feel. You know, like it's a tubular. You're you're almost always connected to the bike because the carcass is glued to the wheel, which touches the tube, which goes through the bike. For tubeless, you got way less material from the tire touching the rim, so you get less feedback. You know, like the vibration. So it's a different sensation, and of course, they're going on sensation. So it, it takes a little while, I think, for them to to find a pressure that they that they that they like that they're used to. So for us, that was the that was the main thing is is getting them because it's, it's just a different feeling. I, I'm curious if uh, if you've experimented at all or had any riders experiment at all with uh, tire tire inserts because you know one of the things with tubulars is if you get a flat, you can you could sort of still keep going with uh, tubeless you can too but it's not as reliably going to stay on the rim so have you have you experimented with any sort of tire inserts or anything like that yeah we've been we've been trying to figure it out i mean none of our sponsors make them so we we know they're out there we know the benefits we're just trying to around a little bit um to see how they work i, I mean for me personally i think that's that's the best combo for the tubeless 
um, but yeah, we need to play around a bit more with that. Jeff, you seem unflappable. Uh, that's that's the best term I can come up with. Is you just this is this is what you're going to do. That you know you're going to take this as it comes, and I think that's probably a pretty key trait for any mechanic uh, to be good at his job is to just sort of have the understanding that when it's going to hit the fan, you got to be calm. Um, what? But what you know at over the course of a grand tour or over the course of even a one day race, there's got to be a moment where you sit back and you say, okay, this is why I do the job. What is that for you? What is, where do you glean the satisfaction? Because to me, mechanics are sort of unsung heroes, right? Like they, they don't get any, you don't get to stand on the podium with the riders when they win. You know, um, you get to clean, clean their bike while they're celebrating. <laughs> so like, what are the points of satisfaction for you, the job? What makes you love this job? I think it's just, um, for me, at least personally, a bike is technical enough that you, you need to know what you're doing, but then it's also not such a big project where you, you can't start and complete it you know like if, like with automotive they're they're technical but they're also such big projects you need multiple multiple people to do it so for me it's just nice knowing that you can order the parts build the bike assemble the bike measure it properly give it to the rider and they don't notice the difference between the the one they just got off so for me it's it's being able to just be consistent repeatable um, and also, I guess, you know, we are trying to earn the trust of the riders for them to have the, the faith in us, I think is a motivating factor to try and always do your best and, and work in a way that again, you're consistent, you're reliable. Um, and then hopefully you can sleep a little easier and not thinking about the bullet you might've not tightened. <laughs> and I hope I can be Zen about something in my life someday like that. That seems it seems admirable. Um, you know, in just the quick minute we have left, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks out there are really curious about the life of a mechanic and, and just, but don't know a lot about it. What, what's something about your life as a mechanic that you don't think people know about that they should know about what it's like to be a mechanic? I mean, is there something of the day-to-day -day job that's, you know, really important to you that most people don't know about? Um, I guess maybe like if you were saying like what is it about the job I think having worked in bike shops and other stuff I, I think it is a, a certain disposition to, to do it in this regard because nowadays with the bikes you know there's a lot of mechanics in the world that can work on a bike and there's a lot of really good mechanics but in this environment it's you have to yeah you have to be able to roll with it you're never going to get a perfect day um, so I think that the difference between you know, like a bike shop mechanic, super skilled, can touch most bikes and fix it versus this, it, I, I think is like the disposition towards adversity and just being able to kind of have a laugh at, you know, when the day goes a bit bad, you can still, at the end of the day, you know, survive it. Yeah. So I think it's not the technical side of it. I would say it's more just the, yeah, the attitude of disposition to try and, trying to do it. You're never going to have a perfect day. I, I need to put that on a t-shirt and sell that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I hope. I hope, yeah. but I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not expecting it. It's a, yeah. a bonus. 
Well, Jeff, thanks, uh, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I do appreciate it. And uh, for those for those of you uh, listening, you know, keep an eye out for Jeff. Maybe maybe once in a while he'll he'll get his his uh, shot on the on the big screen. You never know. <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for those service courses. Jeff, thanks again for taking your, taking the time. I know it's busy times for you here in Copenhagen, so I do appreciate you chatting with us. Um, if you if you folks listening have questions uh, for me or for Jeff, I'm happy to pester Jeff as much as possible. He can ignore me if he has to. <laughs> you can reach out to me uh, on Twitter at SlowGuy on the Fast Ride, or on excuse me on Instagram at SlowGuy on the Fast Ride. On Twitter, I'm at SlowGuy Fast Ride. They don't give me as many letters. And of course, you can reach out to at Ruler Magazine. We're always happy to chat with you folks and answer any questions. And of course, if you have uh, topics you'd like us to cover on the Ruler Tech Podcast, we're happy to do that as well. Jeff, thank you again for joining me today, and for all of you listening, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.